I've been talking uh, uh, when I can. The Holy Spirit moved last week and got me all off of my notes. I've got so many notes. I tell you, I could just preach for hours if you could stay for hours, but I won't do that. Um, but last week I was, um, you know, I got up here to start and, and it just changed. The Holy Spirit did something different last week and Holy Spirit manifest. How many know we need to be open to him? And uh, whether he manifests in a different way or manifests while we teach the word, we want the presence of God. And I want to encourage you in your personal life, court the presence of God. Uh, this se- uh, series I, I'm in, this is lesson five, a solid foundation. And I'm talking about keeping a soft heart towards God. It does seem like we're entering into uh, the very last number of years uh, in, in, uh, before Jesus comes back, I could say it that way. Uh, nobody knows the uh, day, the hour, but you can know the season, Jesus said. And it seems as though we're in the season of his coming. Everything that can shake is shaking right now. And uh, one day it's going to shake and bake. And uh, so I don't know about you, but I'm getting ready. And, and the cool thing is God wants to use us in ways perhaps he's never used us before and uh, what I've heard all of my life, this is my 46th year in Jesus. And since I've known the Lord, I've heard it over and over. I've heard it hundreds and hundreds of times in messages, uh, um, in, in all the places I've been where men and women of God have said, it seems as though there's coming a, a tremendous moving of the Holy Spirit, the likes of which the world has never seen just before Jesus comes back. It will even eclipse what happened in the early church. And I don't know about you, that's a big deal to me. If you go read the book of Acts and see how God manifested himself in the first century, there was tremendous persecution, but there was such a, but there was such a hunger and desire for God and for spiritual things. And, and people were waking up to who Jesus uh, is, and they began to walk in the light of his word, and the Holy Spirit began to manifest there in the first century. The church age began. Here we are at the very close of the church age, and it feels like the same thing is happening all over again. The persecution is rising. The world is changing. The spirit of Antichrist is trying to manifest, and the glory of God is coming upon his people again. Now, I don't know about you, but that excites me. Who was the author of uh, Tale of Two Cities? Who wrote A Tale of Two Cities? Who? I knew that. Charles Dickens. I'm <laughs> Best of times, worst of times. Really? I mean, he's a prophet when he said that. He's prophesying about the end of the age. It's the best of times and worst of times. So my encouragement, let's keep our eyes on the positive things of, of what God wants to do. And you know, God, in my personal time with him, I keep a journal and I was reading through my journal here a couple of days ago, and I noticed over and over and over again, God kept saying to me personally, don't look at the dark, don't look at the negative, look at the positive, keep your eyes on me. But, and he was warning me that things are going to get really dark and there are going to be some people that all they do is look at the dark, and, uh, but, but we're the light. And God's going to use you as the light. How many hear me? So um, to get ready for the, the way the world is headed just before Jesus comes back, the most important thing we do is prepare our hearts. Yes or no? Second Corinthians 4, 16, therefore we do not lose heart. Some people are losing their heart, their passion for life. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. That outward man perishing, you can't stop that happening. You're going to lose your hair. You're going to wrinkle. You're going to turn gray. Uh, gravity's going to take hold and the things gonna, ain't going to look the same. But how many know God's uh, always the same? Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? 
So that's what he's saying. The outward person, you can't help what happens to it. You can go talk to Adam when you get to heaven about that. But uh, we have a person on the inside that is fadeless, ageless, and that, and that, that God wants to come to the forefront in our life and God wants to use us. How many know from the inside out? Yes or no? So I've been talking about the importance of the Word of God. In fact, I've got seven things about the Word to make a part of your life. And I've been trying to get to them. I thought I'd get them all done in one Sunday. And here we are several weeks later and we're not quite there yet. I'm going to know the Word of God has to be the foundation for your life right now. Jesus said, you know, you got a foundation of sand or you got a foundation of stone. Uh, in Matthew chapter 7, he talked about when storms come, it's your foundation that determines determines whether or not your life fails or you succeed when the tough times come. And it's the word. And, and you know, I, I knew these things as a young man when I was 18, when I came to the Lord. But I've lived long enough now to have been through the thick and thin of life and the harsh realities that life brings and the challenges that life brings. And I can tell you, not only from the standpoint of what the Bible said, but doggone it. When you do it, it works. And God will bring you through any crisis, any problem, any challenge, any adversity, any hard place, any calamity. Even if you did it to yourself, he'll have mercy on you. How many hear what I'm saying? And uh, I, like you, have been in things, say, well, I got myself in this pickle. But you know, God has mercy and he'll help you get out of your tough place that maybe you created for yourself, yes or no? And one thing I've done throughout the years is I've memorized a lot of Scripture and it's, uh, it's done me good as I've gone through hard places. Uh, Matthew 24, 35, Jesus said, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So what is he saying? Life will change. The world will change. But there's one unchangeable thing in life. And how many know that's the standard of his word? And if you'll put his word first, I don't know what you're going through. You might be going through a financial challenge right now. You might be going through a a marriage challenge right now. You might be going through a financial challenge, or maybe you've got a wayward child. Maybe one of your grandchildren just, uh, you know, killed the dog. I don't know. Could be anything. Um, I don't know why I said that. That was weird. It's really weird. Don't kill your dog. Might want to sometimes, just don't. Psalm 119, 89, forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Uh, for it's fixed. That word settled means fixed, established. The, the one thing in life that does not change as the times change is God's word. And I found if you'll base your life on God's word, regardless of the challenge you face, you come out on top every single time. Now, I'm not going to tell you it's going to be easy or even fun as you go through it, but I'm going to tell you, you'll come through. Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. Then he said, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Psalm 19, verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord, talking about the word, is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Then he said, more to be desired are they than gold. Yes, fine gold, sweeter than honey and the honeycomb. Home. The very last part of that, moreover, by them, by your word, your servant is warned. And the last phrase of this whole thing is, and in keeping them, in keeping what? In keeping his word, there's great reward. Man, that's pretty awesome. Now, I'm telling you, I've lived long enough to see the reward part. To get to the reward part, you got to stick with it through the thick and through the thin. 
And I don't care what you feel like. Put your feelings aside. Put your thoughts aside. Put what other people say aside. Put what the culture's doing aside. If you'll do and act and be what God says, you'll come out on top. Now, you know, that's enough preaching right there. We can go home. I said everything you say right there. Well, we're talking about seven things about the word to make a part of your life. And uh, just real quickly, number first thing was God's word brings life stability. That's what I, I just talked about. And when, you know, the seasons of life change and as we get into the hard place, see, the thing that will keep you on top is you know that, that God's word never changes. Put your life, put the standard of your life on God's word. Let God's word determine what you do then you know what? You'll be a stable person. Secondly, we mentioned hunger for the word as an indicator of spiritual health. If you want to know where you are with God and where you are in your spiritual life, answer this question honestly to yourself. Are you hungry for the word of God? Are you hungry to read your Bible? If you don't care about it, if you hardly pick it up, if you just listen to me on Sunday mornings, you might cut a YouTube video on or a podcast on or hear somebody through the week. If you rarely pick up your Bible, I want to challenge you. You're not very hungry and there may be something taking the place of that hunger, yes or no. Our desires follow our attention. If you are not even hungry, if you'll put your, if you'll put your attention on God and his word, you know what? You'll find a hunger for him rises up inside of you. Talked about it in detail several weeks ago. And then I took a week and talked about the inspired word of God. The word of God is the only book in the world that calls itself God-breathed. Inspiration, the Greek word means God-breathed. That is, it's as much the word of God as if you could feel his hot breath on your uh, face and maybe feel the spittle as he pronounces his his consonants and vowels on your face as he's talking to you. That's how much it is the word of God. If you don't believe that, then you'll do nothing with the Bible. And that's the reason we're having such a challenge in our culture today. And many people are having challenges with their children in school and public school and college now because everything around us in America is pulling our culture away from God and his inspired word. And that's the very reason we're having problems. So I'm going to come right back to that. Point number four, and I mentioned this first service a couple of weeks ago, uh, not the second because something else happened. The word is designed to take Jesus and the Father's place in their physical absence. Jesus is the living word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word, the word was manifest. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is the living word. Isn't that good? So if I, have a, if I have a time in the Word, I'm really having a time with Jesus, yes or no? And, and then the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Truth. I get myself involved with the Word, the Holy Spirit gets involved in me. And He'll start talking to you, witnessing to you, showing you things you need to stop doing, showing you things you need to start doing, uh, uh, helping you tweak things that you're doing on your job, in your relationships, in your, in your uh, marriage. In fact, here's the Lord. Now, here he is. He's talking to me. You're having problems in your marriage. All you need is a couple of tweaks. And it has to do with you stopping, stop thinking about what you don't have and what they're not doing for you and start thinking about what you can do for your spouse, how you can love them, how you can meet their need. In fact, uh, I heard Kenneth Copeland say this several decades ago and I started doing it myself instead of praying, oh God, please change Susan. Oh God, she needs such help. This year we'd be married 43 years. 
but September. I started praying, Lord, help me to be the best husband she could ever have, right? So, you know, you ask God to help you be what they need instead of vice versa. I don't know who that is. See, that's putting God's word first. How many hear me? Husband, love your wife. See, somehow it seems like I'm, actually, it's both. There are husbands and wives here. You're struggling with yourself, struggling with your spouse. Well, if you, you'll stop struggling if you put your sight on the right thing. Get your focus on Jesus. Get your focus off of you. Put your focus on meeting that other person's need, whether you ever get your needs met or not. Anyway, that was free, that was free marriage counseling right there. You can give a notation to Victory Church. Just joking. <laughs> this number five is what I want to focus. I thought I'd get to this last week, but it feels like it's this week. Now listen to this. National and personal neglect of the Bible brings harm. Again, I've lived long enough to watch this happen. And, uh, you know, my voice gets a little warbly because I love our country. I mean, I love our nation. My dad was uh, uh, in the armed forces. He fought in the Korean War. He taught me the value of love for country. My father did. He died, he died 10 years ago in just a few days in March, 10 years ago. And uh, he taught me to value this country. But, you know, when I was a little boy, you could, you could uh, leave your you, doors unlocked on your house, on the porch. I could ride my bike in my community. Um, and and just have a good time with my friends and and my and no cell phones or no way of communication. But my mother knew I'm probably okay, unless I you know scratch my back or stub my toe or whatever you know. And uh, but that's just but it's so different now. You wouldn't dare do that now because life has changed so much in America. We have some huge challenges in every area of living, and those challenges in America today can be traced right back to the neglect of God's word as a life foundation for America. How many hear me? And unless we get back to the word, we'll see a continual decline. The same thing happened to Israel. I know this, you're familiar with this, but I feel like I need to read this Hosea chapter 4, the first six verses. This is New Living Translation. Hear the word of the Lord, O people of Israel. The Lord has brought against you, uh, charges against you, saying, there is no faithfulness, no kindness, no knowledge of God in your land. You make vows and break them. You kill and steal and commit adultery. What is he saying there? You're breaking my commandments. I give, I give, I gave you ten commandments to live by. Why did God take Moses to the top of Mount Sinai and write with his finger on a stone tablet, etch in ten laws for living? Why did God do that? Because people who were fallen, they need, they, they need a pattern. They need a path to live by. That's the reason we have the Ten Commandments. You as a believer have the Ten Commandments. The law of God is written in your heart by the Holy Ghost. And Jesus said, if you love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, you just did them all. But not everybody around you understands or knows that, and they don't have the Holy Spirit in them. So God gave ten laws to live by to Moses. And you know what? Through the Jewish race, I think God did the whole world a a, a big favor in showing fallen man how to get along together. When we choose to forsake God's laws in any culture, any uh, nation, any any time of, of, of history, 
then problems come. And that's what he was saying to the Israelites. There is no faithfulness, no kindness, no knowledge of God in your land. You're not listening to what I told you to do. You make vows and break them. You kill, steal, commit adultery. There's violence everywhere, one murder after another. Is that like America today? Uh, that is why your land is mourning. See, see, the people did it, but the land itself began to mourn. That is, the land re- began to rebel against the way the people were living. And everyone is wasting away. And then it even affected nature. It affected the animals, even the wild animals. The birds of the sky, the fish of the sea are disappearing. When a culture chooses to walk away from God and not do what he said, it affects everything about them. Their land is affected. Even the natural things are affected. Verse 4, don't point your finger at someone else and try to pass the blame. And that's often what we try to do. Well, if my mama treated me right, if my daddy hadn't left when I was four, I'd be a different. You can't blame that. Stop blaming others for your problems. That's what he's saying. Don't point your finger at someone else. Try to pass the blame. My complaint, you priests, is with you. God looked away from his people and said, you know, as as aggravating as as you've become, you have forgotten me. You've forgotten my laws. But you know what? I'm pointing my finger not at you. The people that should be training you haven't done their job. The priests were supposed to be telling them what God said, giving them the commands of God, saying, do this, don't do this. But you know, in the days of Israel, did you know that some of the kings of Israel actually set up pagan idols in the temple, the Jewish temple, right along with the Ark of the Covenant? There was the pagan idols right there in the temple. How can God bless what is cursed? And that's what was happening. So he said, don't point your finger at someone else. Try to pass the blame. My complaint, you priests, is with you. We've got a problem in the pulpits in America today. We have some very honorable and faithful pastors who will, who will not stop uh, and, and who will say exactly what God says, whether people like it or not. And the past number of years, the problem with American culture is uh, that your church is only healthy if it's big. That is a lie. And here we are in America, the bigger the better. No, no. Sometimes the bigger the more aggravation you have with whatever you have in life. You wanted that big car, well, you don't want the, the cost it pays to repair the stinking thing. Oh, you want that big house, you can't clean it yourself. And you ain't got the money to hire somebody else, you bit off more than you can chew. Right? So big ain't necessarily good, but here in America, that's, that's what we do. Well, we got to keep people coming. So what have we done? We've done what the priests in Israel did. We've shut our mouth. And if it offends someone, I better not say it. Jesus was the highest offender in his culture. Many times he'd be speaking and people walked away. I mean, the religious people, man, they looked down their nose at him. Who do you think you is? And he said, I am the son of God. And they tried to kill him. Is it true? So you will stumble in broad daylight, verse 5, and your false prophets will fall with you in the night. And I'll destroy destroy Israel, your mother. Your Your whole land will be affected. One simple reason, they neglected God's word. My people are being destroyed because they don't know me. Since you priests refuse to know me, I refuse to recognize you as my priest. Since you have forgotten, watch this, the laws of your God, I will forget to bless your children. 
That's where America is today. We're living on our forefathers' faith. We're living on the tears of past generations. We're living on the blood sacrifice of lives given on a field somewhere for freedom. They made sacrifices so that we can have what we have. I just was listening to somebody yesterday. I was taking a walk, and uh, that person said, um, the world right now uh, is more prosperous than it ever has been. Our nation is more prosperous than it ever has been. And now, everything's changing. Is it true? I don't want to get in the weeds on all that. Government, media, education, the word of God is no longer valued. And just like in Israel, we're beginning to fail, we're beginning to fall. See, here's what we've got to realize. Any, any culture that moves away and refuses God's word, he backs away from them. And the results of God backing away from any culture is called judgment. Judgment's not necessarily God going out to do something. It's just his taking his hand of blessing away. Yes or no? You only, and I've said this so many times, I won't say much, but you only need to go to a few places in the world where where the Bible hasn't been revered where idolatry is rampant, where the people worship false gods, and and that's all over the world. And you'll see some really pitiful living. You'll see squalor like you've never seen before. And y'all, it will break your heart to see little babies that are just wasting away and don't have clothes. You see little boys and girls, they don't have anything. They're playing with sticks and weeds don't have anything. You hear me? Americans often look down their nose. And my friends, our chickens are coming home to roost. The whole reason these other nations, I've been to a bunch of them, is uh, the reason they're having problems is they're idol worshipers. And you can't bless whom God's not blessed. How many hear me? God can't bless sin. God can't bless idolatry. We'll say, well, that's another nation. No, we're full of idolatry in America. In fact, I got a whole series I'm going to do on sex. We've got to find a good title for it. Sex education in the 21st century. Come and hear it. But did you know that every idol in history Prove me wrong. Every idol in history was worshipped with immorality. So we don't might not have physical idols. Now we got you got people that are immigrating in. There's a few idols around Raleigh right now. Physical idols, but we got a lot of idolatry. Yes or no? And I just want to, I want to set this, and I know that you know the word, you're in the word, or you should be, and my encouragement today is don't get away from God's word. Don't let the culture get in you. Don't, don't be infected by the culture. Let the God inside of you infect the people around you with how you live and what you think. But I just want to remind us all that 
Uh, you know, it's kind of like the frog in the kettle. When I was a boy, things were not, not terrible. But then things begin to change and the frog in the kettle syndrome, you know, set in a frog's a cold-blooded creature. You put him in cold water, he's happy as a, he's happy as a June bug in a pine tree. We say that in South Carolina. But he's sitting there and you, you know, light the fire up under the cauldron outside, black, big black cauldron. He's saying, man, hip, hip, hooray, the sky is blue. The sun is nice. I'm just having fun. And he doesn't realize his body temperature is heating up until he's boiling to death. Now, there's America. We're boiling to death. And we don't realize we're putting our kids in, in school, public schools. And some of us, you know, you put your kids in private school, Christian school, you know, you educate them, you have devotions with them, you train them, you take them to church, they go to Sunday school, they go to children's ministry, you get the word in them, but doggone it, you send them to a university, they come back and they don't know God. Why is that? Because the whole system's set against God. There are, there are four pillars that define a culture that's away from God. Number one, athe- pillars of belief. Number one is atheism. Everybody say atheism. And again, the, you know this, it promotes, promotes the idea that the universe is simply randomly progressing. There's no God to answer to with respect to law, science, relationships, morals, atheism. If, if, if a person says they're an atheist, that's a, that's a simple out not to have to do anything they don't want to do, to do only what they feel like doing, and, and, and rules don't matter. Well, the Bible has really something to say about that. Psalm 14, 1, only fools say in their hearts, there is no God. If I say there is no God, that proves that I'm a fool. A fool by definition in the dictionary is a person with an IQ under 60. Only fools say in their hearts, there is no God. They're corrupt. Their actions are evil and no one does, uh, and not one of them does good. Again, if I say there is no God, then you know what? I hurt and defame and wound other people. Atheism. Atheism uh, tends towards the second pillar of a, of, a, of a society away from God, evolution. I have never in my whole life believed in evolution. I mean, they, they had it in the books when I was in school as a young boy in the 60s. I know that dates me. And they began to talk about it. But you know, I had so much of God in me, I never believed. I say, well, that's a... You know, I don't believe that. And in fact, in my science class, I raise my hand and say, well, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches this. And the other, other kids say, well, I go to church. I believe that too. And the teacher even said, well, you know, uh, uh, you know what? I believe what you believe. That's what that's books want me to tell you. Yeah. Human life, if you believe in evolution, is no more important than a bird, a dog, or a tortoise. Right? If God made us in his image... See, that raises the value of human life in every way. And see, it, it raises uh, the value of human life above every other aspect of, of uh, civilization and creation. Yes or no? So, so that's the reason we have laws that we have. And see, if you don't believe there is a God, you got a wacky way of thinking about life. And so you got a bug that's an eighth of an inch. But, but, you, but you can't do anything with that bog he lives in. Yeah, I, mean, I know I just made some people mad. 
Did you hear what I just said? Where does all that come from? Animals are as valuable as humans. Now, I love my dog. If I had, my, I had a cat, and he went on to his reward. Another story for another day. No, he was a sweet cat, Simba. I love my dog. And some people try to treat a dog like a human. That brings problems in and of itself. But your dog doesn't have the value of a human life. And if you think it does, then you have a twisted concept of creation. How many hear what I just said? See, I'm getting into all kind of weeds. How are you going to get out? I'm not trying to get out. I'm in it. We're surrounded by this stuff, y'all. And then that gives way to number three, relative values. Where there is no standard for behavior, there's no code of ethics to live by. What you do is related to where you are, who you're with. And what values are held in the group that you're in. There's no values that are standard. So lying, cheating, stealing, taking unfair advantage of other people, cheating on your taxes, character assassination, all that's, all that's legitimate if you don't have any values you live by. So you want to know why our culture is so crass and why people say the things they say on Facebook and and uh, Instagram and whatever all the rest of them are. Why do they do all that stuff? They do it because there are no values in a culture without God. Yes or no? The last one is amorality. You put an A in front of anything and it makes it the opposite. So instead of, of morality, there is no morality. Amorality, nothing's immoral. There's no such thing as morals. And you know, a lot of people that are training, educating our children right now, they're trying to cram down their throat that morals are a thing of the past and a thing of the, for the dustbin of history. Oh, y'all hearing me? Adultery, fornication, homosexuality, polyamory, which is in, being in love with several people at one time and living with them as though you're married, polygamy, having more than one spouse, uh, binary sexuality, fluid sexuality. I don't even understand some of these. Transgenderism, all are on equal footing. Now, if you've got a child in school, that's what they're being taught right now. They're taking Mr. and Ms. I get aggravated now just filling out a form for somebody because they took Mr. and Ms. They, they want you to say, you know, you're whatever. And I say, you know what? I think all of us need to take a big jump in the lake and get cleaned up. Atheism, evolution, relative values, amorality. Family breakdown is the result when a nation leaves God. And no nation is stronger than the families in the nation. Can I just talk a little bit? No nation can be stronger than the family unit. And if there's not a mama and a daddy in a family to create a stable environment, so a child, whether it's a boy or a girl, knows that they are loved, that they are valued, that they are worthwhile, that life has purpose, life has meaning, and God has something for them to do in life. So if you don't have that kind of environment, then a person is, is raised with an empty insides.
They're empty inside. And they're looking for love in all the wrong places and looking for value in things that will absolutely bring ruin to them. And that's what's happening in America as I speak. How many hear me? And so while we're having church behind the four walls, our, our, our nation is falling apart. So uh, the solution is not for us to keep having more church services and doing nothing. The solution is, you know, God, I'm going to take up the mantle you placed inside of me and I'm going to live what you placed inside of me when I leave these doors and I go outside and I live my life, whether I'm in school or I'm on the job or I'm retired and I'm, and I'm around other people. How many hear what I'm saying? My goodness. So I've got all this other, and I'm not going to have time to get to it. Uh, You can go look at my notes online. They're online. I thought about our current culture and easily came up with 10 current cultural values. I mentioned a number of them right there. I'm not going to mention it. And then I mentioned the 10 commandments that God says. But let me just share this. We're in a really precarious place in America right now because we've left the Bible aside. Any individual or nation that leaves the Bible out of their life, the Word of God out of their life, will will, uh, reach a demise. They will fail. How many hear me? Judgment comes to those who refuse to obey God. Again, I want to read this, Proverbs chapter 1. Here's God. Now, this really shocked me. The first person that I heard read this, it was actually in a prayer seminar in the late 1970s. Kenneth Hagin, who was one of my mentors in the Lord, was doing a prayer service or a prayer uh, teach seminar, and he was teaching, he was talking about why things don't work in people's lives, and I had just met the Lord, I had only, I was just very, very young, maybe a year or so old in the Lord, I came across the, a series of cassette tapes at the time where he was teaching on prayer, and he mentioned this verse, and, and I never forgot it, and it impacted me in a tremendous way, because even by the time I was 18, I, I had already seen the effects of leaving God out of your life by hanging around my drug buddies and doing the things that they did and having the attitudes and values that they had. It messed my life up. How many hear me? Proverbs 1. This is Passion Translation, verses 24 through 33. I've called you to you over and over. Still, you refuse to come to me. I've pleaded with you again and again, yet you've turned a deaf ear to my voice. And that's God speaking to people. Because you've laughed at my counsel or my word and have insisted on continuing in your stubbornness. Perhaps he could say that to American culture today. Yes or no? I will laugh when your calamity comes and will turn away from you at the time of your disaster. Make a joke of my advice, will you? Then I'll make a joke out of you. When the storm clouds of terror gather over your head, when dread and distress consume you and your catastrophe comes like a hurricane, you will cry out to me, but I won't answer. Then it'll be too late to expect my help. When desperation drives you to search for me, I'll be nowhere to be found. Why? Why would God do that to somebody? Because, verse 29, you have turned up your nose at me. See, when I turn up my nose at this, I turn my nose up at God. Yes or no? Because you've turned your nose up at me and closed your eyes to the facts and refused to worship me in awe because you scoffed at my wise counsel and laughed at my correction. Now you'll eat the bitter fruit of your own ways. My daddy used to say that. You'll make your own bed and they'll lie in it. My daddy told me, say, son, you made your bed hard, you're gonna lie on it. I said, why? He said, because that's called responsibility, son. I said, well, I don't want to lie on my hard bed. He said, well, you're going to. Or you're going to find something harder than your bed. Uh Uh-oh. 
So how do you like that? Like an idiot, you've turned away from me and chosen destruction instead. Instead, your self-satisfied smugness will kill you. But verse 33, the very last verse of this whole thing, it is so good. But the one, this is going to be me. How about you claim it for you? But the one who always listens to me will live undisturbed in a heavenly peace. How many want to live undisturbed in a heavenly peace? Free from fear, confident and courageous. You will rest unafraid and sheltered from the storms of life. Now, I was minding my own business. Wasn't the praise and worship awesome today? I better give Joshua and his team a hand. They did awesome. I was minding my own business. Or in South Carolina, we say business. I was minding my own business. And two things came to me. And here's where we are. And here's the, this is the, this is the attitude that God wants you to have. God wants you to have the attitude that Noah had. Now, Lot, I got some stuff to talk with about Lot if he's in heaven. I believe he is. But Jesus said this, when the Son of Man returns, this is Luke 17, 26, not in my notes, by the way. It will be like it was in Noah's day. In those days, the people enjoyed banquets, parties, weddings, right up until the time Noah entered his boat and the flood came and destroyed them all. Jesus said, like it was in the days of Noah. Think about Noah. For I don't know if you realize, it took, it took Noah 120 years to build the ark. They live longer than those days we do these days. Noah was 600 years old, I think, when he had a son. I mean, that's a long time to live, right? Yeah. 600 years old. I have to go look that one up. I think I got that wrong. Nonetheless, Noah, think about Noah, 120 years. He's, he's, he's uh, cutting, felling trees. He's preparing the boards. He's hammering. He's using nails. In fact, they found the ark. I've got a whole book I just got. and It's got pictures of where the ark is. You can see the ark clearly in the landscape. Crazy, amazing. He built, took them 120 years. They said, what you doing? He's in building the boat. They said, what you building the boat for? He said, it's going to rain. And it had never rained prior to that time. There was a mist that came up under the ground and, and watered the shrubs. He said, he said it's going to rain. He, and they said, what's rain? He said, I don't know. God just told me stuff. Uh, water's going to come out the sky. And, 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 and we're going to drown if we don't have this boat. They said, you a fool. He said, you can call me what you want. But I'm not going to stop hammering every day. I've got hammer nails. I've got wood. I've got stuff. And God told me to do this. In fact, not only that, he told me to take two of every kind of animal and put it on the boat with me. They said, I know you're cuckoo now. I know you're a crazy man. He said, you can call, call, say what you want. Judgment's come into the world and you need to get prepared, my friend, because if you don't get ready, you're going to drown. They said, I don't know what you're talking about. There's no water. And they laughed him to scorn. And they did it all of his life. And you know what I heard God say? I want you to act like Noah. Be aloof. Don't pay any attention. When people say what they say about you being a Bible thumper, you going to church, you loving Jesus, you obeying the word of God, you raising your kids on the standard of the word, and they say something to you, just smile at them real big and say, well, I'm going to keep on doing it. And just let them foam at the mouth if they need to foam at the mouth. My mother, when she, she'd talk to me, she'd, you know, I'd be home, going home late on a date, or I'd be doing something I should do. She'd sit down while I'm eating my supper after a long day's, day of work. She'd sit right beside me and she'd be talking to me. Now, miss, and she'd start talking so fast. I said, Mama, you need to slow down. You're foaming at the mouth. 
And that just brought more. I don't know what people are saying. I don't care what people are doing. It doesn't matter what they're doing. You do what God says, period. If you're in school and they're teaching this or that, you know, you can in a kind of way, if you've got to write a paper, write your paper and you tell them what they want you, regurgitate what they want to hear so you'll pass the test, but put a little addendum to it. Say, I just want you to be aware. You said that. This is what I really believe. And then let the teacher come in and talk to you a little bit. That'd be good. Let your classmates do what they're going to do, but you don't have to do what they're doing. How many hear me? You're working on a job and they say, well, we, we don't want you to tell the truth about this deal that you're going to pull here, this new product line we have. We're going to make a lot of money on this because of X, Y, Z, but don't tell them that. Don't tell them what you're doing. Don't tell them why. Don't tell them the the pitfalls of the contract they're entering into. And that's where you need to stand up and say, well, you know what? I don't think I can work for this institution. God obviously has something better because I can't lie. If we keep laying down and doing what everybody else does, we'll never win our culture. How many hear me? If you're not getting along with your spouse, the answer is not necessarily divorce. Well, that went over like a lead balloon right there. You know why? Because there's no fault divorce. Ain't anybody so I don't like you anymore. The sex ain't fun anymore. The day ain't fun anymore. We don't date anymore. You don't look like you used to. I'm going to leave you. Get me somebody else. That's our culture today. My friends, if believers act that way, how in the world will we ever win the people around us? <laughs> Having said that, all right, maybe potentially I just offended somebody that's divorced. Here's what you got to know. God loves you even if you're divorced. God loves you if you've been married five times. I don't care. Jesus said to the woman at the well, you know, you've not just, you've not just, had, you've not just had one husband, you've had five, and the man you're living with now, you're sleeping with him and you're not married. And he loved her. Yes or no? So I know I'm preaching hard today, but some, somewhere we got to change something, y'all. If you're married, stay married. You got problems in your marriage, seek God, suck rug, get in the word, say, God, help me. Help me to get my eyes off of me. Help me to get my eyes on you. Help me to take my eyes off of what, what, what I think is wrong and what they're doing and what they ought to be and help me to put my eyes on you and keep my eyes off me and love the person that you've placed in my life. Yes or no? This is a little bit strong, I get it. And I know I need to straighten it up. Having said that, I understand there's abuse. I understand there are people that, you know what, you need to walk away from. I tell women who are beaten, who are abused severely, or a man who's being irresponsible like that, I mean, even the dog will not come to a bowl if his master's going to hit him. So let me turn the coin over on the other side here. I've actually went to people's houses and told the husband who strangled his wife, she will not be living with you anymore. Now, I know he could have took a knife out and, you know, ended my life. But in my ignorance, God protected me. You hear me? So, so, so I, know, I know there's stuff on both sides of the coin. I get that. But the point I'm making is, friends, if we act like everybody else around us, and we deal with our problems the way our culture deals with our problems, and we never go to God about how we deal with our problems, we will never win our culture to Jesus. 
Yes or no? Anyway, we could go all kinds of places. Noah was not liked in his day. You're not going to be liked if you obey God. And if you read with the Bible, it's not that you're trying not to be liked, but if you're not going to do what everybody else does, they don't want to party with you. Yes or no? And again, you know, I love people. I'll hang out with people as much as I can. But when they start doping and drinking and sexing, I'd say, you know, I got to go see you later. I don't do that. Well, why not? Well, Jesus is in my life and he's pure and, and he won't let me do that. And I don't want to do that because I'm full inside and I don't need that to be full. Are you judging me? I'm not judging anybody. I'm just saying I'm judging me. I can't do that. Right? Friends, it's time to wake up. Lot, Lot was the same way. Lot, King James Bible says, was vexed with a filthy lifestyle of the wicked. And he watched what they did. The angels come and visited him. And the, the city was so nasty that the homosexual men in the city wanted the angels and wanted to have sex with them. And so they tried. And, and Lot was, I don't know what to say about Lot. He offered the men his daughters instead. He said, but don't, but my, 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 my. Y'all, we're living in the same kind of world right now. How many hear me? And at some point, we've got to stand up. And all I'm saying is be a person of the word. Be a person of integrity. Be a person of, of, of uh, love. Be a person of moral rectitude. I mean, believe what you believe and stand your ground and, and act like you know God wants you to, whether people like you or whether people don't like you. That's the world we're going into right now. We're in a time of judgment And this is a great time for the light that is inside of us to shine brightly. Challenge today as I close, if you're compromising in any area of life, that compromise is going to cost you. You may have been able to coast in yesteryear with some compromises that you're making in life. I don't care what kind of compromise it is. It may be lying. It may be using anger as a tool to manipulate people. You may be a narcissistic personality and you down other people and you talk and you defame them just to get what you want, friends. If you do that today, it's going to cost you. Did you hear what I'm saying? If you're an immoral person and you think it's okay to live an immoral life and you can define that any way you want to with any kind of immorality you, that, that you care to define it with, the Bible says it's immoral to have any kind of sex outside of sex between a man and a woman in the confines of a relationship that he called marriage. And our culture is so messed up. I just, I mean, really, I can't hardly, I can't, I can't hardly look at TV at all. And movies, we tried to, Susan, I tried to find a good movie, a clean movie. We cut a few off, said, I ain't watching that because I thought it was going to be clean. And it took a little turn. I said, well, I ain't, I'm not polluting my head with that. I mean, Jesus, you know, he's got a toothbrush out cleaning me up in all kinds of ways. I mean, he's, he's out every nook and I'm put that in, ain't going to happen, cut it off. Finally had to find something. Finally found something that was decent. How many hear me? Y'all, it's time to stand up for what is right regardless for the moment of what it may cost. Yes or no?
If not, we'll be judged right along with our nation. I'm not sure, and I'll stop. I'm not sure that we can stop the judgments that are coming on America because we've backed up so far. Many people, a lot smarter than me, have said they see no other way other than a, a supernatural move of God to bring our nation out of the mess it's in. But here's what I know. You win people one person at a time. When we leave these doors, God wants you to bloom where you planted. He wants you to say what you believe. Be lovingly bold and not kowtow to what a leader in a group thinks is right when it's not right. He wants you to be different. Yes or no?